Today's episode of the Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors. You know, those cold northern winds can be blowing across our Great Plains. And if you're feeling the shiveries inside your house, you know what time it is? It's time to talk to your local Pella, Omaha, and Lincoln expert about taking a closer look at your windows. Save energy and stay warm with windows from Pella that are properly installed. The patented Pella way by professionals using window and doors with the highest energy efficiency ratings in the industry from Energy Star. Check them out online, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. And the Nick Bob Podcast, of course, is brought to you by my good friends at Runza. Life is about combos, you know. We've we're got a basketball pot on deck here. You know, kill a crossover, give and go, pick and roll. Well, Runza and sports, Runza and basketball season go hand in hand. You need to make sure that uh, you are stopping out. I gave you my power rankings the other day for my favorite menu items. Cheese Runza, French fries, old school, just cheeseburger with ketchup only, Southwest chicken salad, chili and cinnamon rolls. I mean, everything there is just fantastic. Make sure you stop by Runza and tell them your friend Nick Baugh sent you. All right, I am in my hotel room in Cincinnati, Ohio, and I'm getting ready to begin the college basketball season with a couple of Xavier games kicking off uh, here over the the next couple of days. But certainly uh, with Nebraska basketball getting things started, it, it, it just – I, I on my flight I had to dive into some Nebraska basketball preview podcast thoughts. I ended up writing like ten pages. This is ridiculous, but I wanted to give you guys a, a thorough Nebraska basketball preview before you really sit down and watch this team and uh, and and get a sense of of what year two of the Fred Hoiberg era is going to look like. I mean, obviously year one was a perfect storm in a lot of ways. And we don't need to deep, to deep dive rehash it, but I mean, brand new roster where where the roster was weak, which was size inside was where the Big 10 was strong. Cam Mack was the point guard. He was a little erratic and in this offense, he needed someone to be solid there. Nebraska wasn't a consistent three-point shooting team overall. Uh they, they were one of the worst free throw shooting teams in the country. And you know, all in all, you know, sometimes it is about talent and this that team last year just they weren't talented enough and and I hate to be so harsh but that's just that's how it is like that's just that's the nature of the beast like there's a non-negotiable raw level of talent that needs to be there on the roster and Nebraska just just didn't have it and and while the roster uh the roster is Hoiberg's responsibility you know, so you don't want to just absolve him of all that stuff. I actually thought that Fred Hoiberg did a pretty good job of coaching with the group that he had. He got them to hang in there for the vast majority of Big Ten games. And, you know, the Big Ten was loaded. It was one of the best, if not the best, conference in, in, in the country last year. And so if you, if you look back on last year, it was the same story more often than not. Nebraska would kind of hang in there and hang in there and hang in there and hang in there, and then there'd be like a three or four or five-minute stretch where they would let it slip for a little bit, and and you'd look up, and they were down 15, 16 points, and it was over, and that was it. So, you know, it was it was good that I thought Coach Hoiberg did a good job of, of getting that team to that wasn't overly talented to hang around, Uh but the one thing that I thought Fred Hoiberg did a really good job of last year was establishing his style and his system. Nebraska was one of the fastest Ken Palm tempo teams in the country. Nebraska's average possession length was 15.2 seconds, which that ranked 
fifth fast fifth fastest in the country. So they established they established that tempo. And I can remember talking with Coach Hoiberg in March before the Northwestern game. And we I talked to him after sh- after a shoot around. We sat down. He said, Nick, we're getting the shots we want. We want shots right at the rim, and we want threes. We're getting them. We just can't make them. And I'm like, he's right. Like Hoiberg, while he's he's pr- man, the dude. You get a dry erase board. He's pretty fancy with some of the stuff he draws up. Even though he's fancy with the X's and O's at times, he has a very simple way of viewing the game, which is which is refreshing to me. I mean, Hoiberg wants fast pace, threes, shots at the rim, layups, and and dunks. That's what he wants. So, and he was able to establish that. He was able to establish that, which is good. Uh, so again, while the while the roster is, it's his responsibility. And those dudes just weren't weren't talented enough. When you look at Hoiberg trying to maximize what he had and establish his identity, I actually did think he did a good job last year. So now you turn the page to year two. And like I just said, I didn't think those guys were talented enough. And even though Hoiberg just completely flipped the roster and you know kind of had a brand new team for year one, the reality of this situation is he needed to flip the roster again. He did. I remember, I remember after, after Creighton blasted him uh, in Omaha last year, I remember leaving the arena thinking, he needs all new guys. I, remember th- I, think, I can't remember if I told that to you. I said, man, between me and you, he needs a whole – those guys, they need all new dudes. And so as much as it stinks to have to flip the roster two years in a row, he had to do it. So obviously you better get your program and your roster sheets out again because it's a brand new team. And I'm going to get into the personnel here in a second, but before before you really discuss anything with college basketball and a team and a season this year, you first have to discuss COVID and its impact. I remember saying on a podcast earlier in the summer, there might not be a team that this COVID situation hurts more in college basketball than Nebraska. When you have a brand new roster with tons of transfers and JUCO kids and a few high school freshmen – the time in the summer is paramount. It's vital. Nebraska was robbed of an entire spring of workouts, most of the summer, and then obviously a good chunk of the fall, even though they were on campus, there was some super, it was obviously really disjointed and different even when they were on campus. Basketball is a chemistry sport, and the only way to acquire it is to play together. And what's unfortunate is you know, this team hasn't been afforded the luxury of spending all spring and all summer and all fall playing and working out together. So that impacts the progress on the floor. And it also impacts the team bonding and relationships as well that matter. You know, a basketball a basketball team is, is you know, it's, it's 12 to 15 guys. It's tight-knit. You know, just one, one little spoiled thing can kind of go, can, can kind of permeate throughout the whole locker room. So it, it makes a difference. Because it also impacts the ability for this coaching staff to instill habits and, and a system and a standard of play that they demand. And in all reality, though, all those things matter a ton. So it's just unfortunate. You know, COVID has impacted everyone negatively, obviously, but not all situations are the same. Like, you look at, at, at Creighton. Creighton returns four of their five starters, five of their top six scores. Their entire core is back. They really are going to only work in about two newcomers into the rotation. So while COVID has impacted Creighton's offseason as well, 
it's not to the degree that it has hurt Nebraska's because the rosters are in totally different situations. So I think we have to at least acknowledge that. COVID has hurt everyone, but man, it has really hurt Nebraska, in my opinion. Okay, so the roster. Again, I'm sure a lot of you guys, when you sit down to watch the team, be like, who is this? Who's that guy? What's going on? Who? Here, here's the breakdown of the roster. So you have three returners from last year. Thurier Thorburn-Yarnison, big Ivan Udrago, and then a Cola Rope. Now, a Cola Rope is out for the season with an injury. So you really only have two returners in Thor and Big Ivan. Then you have three transfers who sat out last year and are now eligible. Delano Banton, Derek Walker, and Shamil Stevenson. Then you have four transfers who are eligible immediately, whether they're junior college transfers, grad transfers, or transfers that got granted a waiver. You have Kobe Webster from Western Illinois, Trey McCowans from Pitt, Teddy Allen, uh, Juco transfer, but was at West Virginia and then Wichita State, and then Lat Mayan uh, is a Juco transfer, but he started his career at TCU. So all in all, that is 10 players on this roster that are that have D1 experience on some level of Division One basketball at some point in their career. And that matters. Every one of those players I just listed has played in major Division I college basketball at some point. That's the major difference between last year's team and this year's team. Because I've had some people say, Nick, I mean, last year's team was all newcomers and transfers. Why is this year's team going to be any different? You know, because I think some people get a little cynical. They're like, well, why, why is this going to be any different? This isn't going to be any different. I'll tell you why it's going to be different. Because on paper, you have guys that have legitimately produced and or played high major college basketball. But look at last year's team. So Cam Mack, junior college, no D1 experience. Gervais Green, junior college, no D1 experience. Uh, Ivan Udrago, high school, no D1 experience. Kevin Cross, high school, no D1 experience. Charlie Easley, high school, no D1 experience. Mate Cavas, Seattle transfer, low major transfer. That's a low major program. Deshaun Burke, Robert Morris transfer, low major level. Like, the only real newcomer last year that had any experience in big D1 basketball was Hanif Cheatham coming from Marquette and then Florida Gulf Coast. So, so that was it. That was your core. This year is different. Again, at least on paper. Trey McCowan, Pitt. Lat Mayan, TCU. Teddy Allen, West Virginia. Shamil Stevenson, Pitt. Derek Walker, Tennessee. Delano Banton, good mid-major program in Western Kentucky. Kobe Webster, low major at Western Illinois, but he's a, he's a senior who started 85 games and he averaged 17 points per game last year. He's consistently produced. And I've seen that dude play live. He's a pretty good little player. So again... On paper, this team is light years more talented and their experience is more credible in my opinion. It just is. I'm sorry, Trey McCown producing at Pitt is a little different than Deshaun Burke producing at Robert Morris. You know, Teddy Allen producing a little bit at, at West Virginia is a lot different than Mate Cavas producing at Seattle. And obviously, I don't even need to get into the JUCO guys. That, that had never played D1 experience. So you start there with breaking down this roster. 
and they did add a few high school kids who I don't I don't anticipate them making a big impact this year. I think the the guys that I've listed are going to be your core, but that's fine. I mean, you can develop them and they can be a vital part moving forward down the road. But the recipe in college basketball now is get old and stay old. Get old and stay old. Well, one of the ways to do that is in the transfer market. And obviously, the transfer market was obviously a huge part of Hoiberg's blueprint at Iowa State, and he's trying to replicate that here at Nebraska as well. So, okay, so let's dive into some into my thoughts on these players and what their roles could be and what their, you know, what their skill sets look like and how I could see it factoring into the offense, all those things. So I'm going to start with the, with, with a lot of the transfers of, of the guys that I think are going to be impactful. Let's start with Trey McCowns. You know, he's a six, four point guard. Again, Pitt transfer. Like I said, he played two seasons at Pitt. He averaged double figures, both seasons. He averaged 11 points per game last year. So, I mean, say it all like you got a double-figure scorer coming from the ACC. I mean, that's Virginia, Carolina, Duke, Syracuse. I mean, that's that's legit. He, he was only a 31% three-point shooter. So, obviously, that's something that you kind of circle and go, that's got to get better. Get better. But he's, he's a dynamic player. Talking to some of the coaches, he really can get into the lane uh, with regularity. And I think he, along with Delano Banton and Kobe Webster, they're going to be the primary ball handlers and decision makers for Nebraska. I think Trey McGowan's is really, really important for Nebraska's offense to really pop. You got to have a good point guard. And while there's, there's could be some point guard by committee, McGowan's is in that committee. So he's going to be important. Delano Banton, uh, 6'8", super versatile. He's kind of like a point forward. He comes from Western Kentucky, where I'll say his numbers were average. I mean, only three points per game. But he just, he has all the tools to be special. And, you know, when you look at his guard skills, his perimeter skills, and his passing abilities at six foot eight and long, it's a dangerous, dangerous player. It's a dangerous player. Hoiberg loves versatility, and Delano Banton is just that. So, how about this? Delano Banton in his freshman year at Western Kentucky. There was a game against Wisconsin that Western Kentucky won, and Banton in that game had 8 points, 13 rebounds, and 10 assists. I mean, think about that. That's impressive. I think he'll handle the ball a lot, and he's probably, based on some of the conversations I've had with the coaches and people around the program, he's probably the best passer on the team. And yet any conversation I had with Fred Hoiberg last year, he just always talked about Banton. He just always, he, you can tell he really, really likes his feel, his instincts, his versatility. Now, he's not a great perimeter shooter, probably the big flaw in his game, but man, can he really impact a game with his passing and rebounding and playmaking at six foot eight? I'm excited for Banton. Teddy Allen. Local kid, obviously uh, people around here remember him, high school at Boys Town. I mean, he's just an elite bucket getter. Now, he, full disclosure, he's had a track record of being a little bit of a head case. You know, I mean, he this is his, now his fourth college here in just a couple of years. I mean, he was at West Virginia, then he transferred to Wichita State. He left there, air quotes, I don't know exactly. He ended up at a junior college last year. You know, and you could you can probably trace a lot of the reasons he went from playing for Bob Huggins in the Big 12 to playing at Western Nebraska Junior College in just two years because, you know why? Because of himself and his decisions. So, 
I think everything kind of starts there. By all accounts, he's he's been great for the staff since arriving in Lincoln. And if he keeps his head on straight, he's got really, really good talent to score the ball. He averaged 31 points per game last year in junior college on 51% shooting from the floor. I mean, he can score. He just finds ways to make shots. He's a tough shot maker. That'll be his role. Space the floor, be aggressive, look to attack, look to score. My guess is, gun to my head right now, who's going to lead Nebraska in scoring this year? I would guess Teddy Allen. So, naturally, he's going to be really important. Let's take a quick break to talk to you guys about my good friends at Arunza. Got another super secret menu item that uh, when I when I revealed this super secret menu item uh, about a month or so ago, let's just say everybody's minds were blown. Everybody's minds were blown. Here's the deal. Did you know at Runza, you can get anything on a Runza sandwich? Think about that. Yeah, you, you don't have to rewind it. In this, anything on a Runza sandwich. Like, I, I love a cheese Runza, but if I want to chuck it, throw pickles in there. I could throw a little mustard in there. I could throw some French fries in there. Anything within reason that's in the kitchen, you can ask for, and they'll add it in the Runza sandwich. How about that? Because every single Runza is made to order. They all start as an original with no toppings. Then they add toppings when you order, and boom, you got a custom Runza. You can't beat that. How about that? I'm sure your mind is blown. That's today's super secret menu item. I had to, had to revive this and tell you about it for my friends at Runza. The build your own Runza. Get into Runza today. Get one that's just for you, and tell them your pal, Nick Baugh, sent you. And while we're here, let's talk about Pella windows and doors. I want to talk to you guys about energy efficiency. Let's uh, let's pull up uh, let's pull up Pella's website right now. Look at this: not one, not two, not three, not four, not five. Five different types of windows or doors by Pella have won the Energy Star 2020 Most Energy Efficient Award. I mean, that's some that's that's incredible. And they achieve that in a couple of ways. You have the insulated glass which slows the heat transfer, keeping your home at a more comfortable temperature. You have types of low-E glass, which is a glass coating that has been optimized for your climate. You have triple-pane glass, which you can upgrade to for increased insulating airspace. And within all that, within all that, one of the keys is proper installation, which is key for windows and doors to perform at their best. And you know the Pella experts are excellent at that. Bottom line, energy efficiency matters in making your home more comfortable. And Pella windows and doors are at the top of the line when it comes to energy efficiency. Turn your window and door remodeling dreams into a reality with Pella. Check them out online, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. Back to the podcast. Let's talk about the two, real quick, the two uh, returners. Thorir Thorburn-Yarnison. So obviously not the most talented or flashiest student in the world, Right. But, man, he just knows how to play. He's smart. He's got a good feel for the game. And, you know, with all the newcomers and talented guys showing up and trying to piece all those things together, you need a Mr. Steady on the floor, and that's Thor. Eight points per game last year, shot 37% from three. He's a capable three-point shooter. But what he does best is kind of stabilize everything. And then specifically, he's, he's a great cutter off the ball. He is outstanding at making basket cuts and reading backside situations offensively. And boy, does he play hard. And he's one of those guys, he strikes me as a guy that doesn't really care about 
shots and touches and minutes and who gets the glory and the blame and the or and the credit and all that stuff. Like he he wants to do whatever needs to be done to help the team win. And you need that you need that kind of guy. With all the newcomers and fresh faces, you need someone steady and experienced. That's Thor. Then uh Ivan Udrago, big Ivan is back. And you know, listen, Ivan you look at Udrago last year, he was kind of thrown to the wolves, if you really look at it. I mean, 17 years old. He's never played basketball in America. He flies over from France into Lincoln, Nebraska, and he gets thrown into the fire battling all the great Big Ten bigs. I mean, Garza and Jalen Smith and Xavier Tillman and all those studs inside. And he took his lumps. So what's what's hard is, is if you just go off what you what you what you, what you saw last year, you think, eh, man, I don't know. Ivan's not very good. But you got to take the whole situation into consideration. It's a very tough spot for him. 17 years old, never played American basketball, comes to Lincoln, Nebraska. He gets thrown out there. That's hard. He's still very raw. His game is still a work in progress. So I don't think there's any question there could be some untapped potential for this dude. I mean, he was 17 years old for the lion's share last season. 17. But with all that said, he's got a lot to if, – if we are just going to look at what we saw last year, right? Because at some point, you are what your film says you are over the course of the year. Like, he's got a lot he's got to tighten up. You know, he was a poor finisher around the rim. A lot of Nebraska's misses around the basket were, were Ivan's misses. And, you know, if you're going to run a lot of pick and roll with him like Hoiberg does, he, he's got to become a better finisher. He shot 41% from the floor, which is awful for a five-minute. Because keep in mind, he's shooting from, you know, inside five feet. And he shot 47% from the free throw line, which is obviously really bad. So he's really got to improve his offensive game. And if he does, you know, then he's got the frame and the body to become a solid player. But he's got to take a big step. I'm really intrigued with what a year of experience and weight training and working out under Hoiberg's guidance does to his game. Because, again, you, you look at how raw he is and how young he is. You could see a scenario where he takes a big, giant step forward. Next guy to talk about, Kobe Webster, Western Illinois transfer. I told you, three-year starter there, started 85 games. He was second-team All-Summit League last year, 17 points per game. He can score. Now, he's a smaller uh, smaller guard, six-foot, kind of cat-quick, but he's just got a good feel on the offensive end, on how to attack, how to create, how to pass, how to kind of run a team. And Fred Hoiberg, since Kobe Webster's arrival, has praised his, you know, his basketball feel, his leadership, um, you know, and certainly he can score 17 points per game, you know, which they're going to need since he's a senior, you know, his leadership, his maturity, and I think all those things are going to be are going to be needed out of Kobe Webster. Again, I saw him play live two years ago. It was two two years ago, I think. He might have been a freshman. I thought it was two years ago. He was. Uh, he, Western Illinois is playing at Creighton. I had that game on TV, and I walked away thinking that little, that little dude's pretty good. That dude, that little dude's pretty good. So he's going to be important. I think I think he's a really important player. Next guy is Lat Mayan. Stretch four could even be a stretch five. He started his career at TCU, and then he was at JUCO last year. He is a great shooter, according to people around the program, which is huge in this offense. You need a big man who can stretch the floor with the way Fred Hoiberg wants to play with pick and pops. And, you know, Hoiberg loves to put stress on bigs and drag them out to the three-point line to defend. 
and Lat Mayan can do that. So there, there's, there's been this infamous story uh, this summer making the rounds that in a shooting drill that Fred Hoiberg, he, he got it from the San Antonio Spurs, but he did it with the Chicago Bulls with all of his incoming potential draft picks. On You end up shooting 100 threes in this drill, and they track them. And Lat Mayan made 86 out of 100 threes in this drill. And according to Hoiberg, he, the most he'd ever seen was 82. So, I mean, 86 out of 100, like that illustrates his shooting ability. I think his shooting is going to end up being too important to keep him off the floor. Not only do you need shooting, but you need frontline four or five man shooting. Ivan can't really shoot. Derek Walker's who I'm going to get to in a second. He's not really a, a stretch five like that. Like you need some some something from your four and your five to be able to shoot. That's why I think Latmine's going to play a lot this year. Next guy, Shamil Stevenson. Uh, started his career. He's had an interesting journey. I mean, I think I saw Robin Washett tweeted. I think it, it's when when he takes the floor. It's been almost 700 days since he's played in a game because he started his career at Pitt. Then he transferred to Nevada, and Eric Musselman uh, left Nevada, took a job in the SEC, so then he wanted to leave because the guy he committed to was gone. Uh, Nebraska thought they were maybe going to get a waiver last year. He didn't get a waiver, so he hasn't played in two years. Never played a, a, a second for Nevada. And so that's hard. I, I mean, I think it could take a little bit for Stevenson to find his rhythm and flow. But the big thing with, with Shamil Stevenson is his body. 6'6", 245, he looks like a linebacker. I mean, he is huge. Seeing him in person at shoot-around, like he is in just a big, stocky dude. And, you know, that big body, that athleticism is going to help in the Big Ten against other big-bodied athletes. So you could see, you know, against, you know, the rough, tough teams, you know, Michigan State, the teams that want to play, like, you're going to need Shamil out there because you need a badass. So I, I think he's going to be kind of in that role. Derek Walker, uh, Tennessee transfer, didn't play a ton at Tennessee, but keep in mind he was behind two really good players in Grant Williams and Admiral Schofield, two big-time college players on a really good Tennessee team that made a pretty good run in the NCAA tournament under Rick Barnes. So I don't read too much into the fact that he didn't play, but what I do like about it is he was around winning. Like, he got to see what it looks like on a day-to-day -day basis on what a team needs to do to end up at the NCAA tournament. That stuff makes a difference. You can absorb all of that. Uh, and so he, so I like his pedigree. And then I like his body, too. You know, 6'8", 235. In the Big Ten, you better have some bigs that can bang in the, in the interior. And I think Derek Walker can, so he's important. And then the only high school name to know is probably Eduardo Andre. He, he's again size 6'10 with a 7'4 wingspan. So there is real value in you know that size and length like that. I mean, 7'4 wingspan. Nebraska is one of the smallest teams in the country last year and in the Big Ten. And Andre, I think, could really help with some rim protection to throw him out there a few times. So there you go in terms of going through a, a, a few guys on the roster and, and what I kind of what I think of them, how I see them. So I'm sure a lot of you right, Nick, what expectations, what do you think? What, what, what's, what's your expect? I don't know, man. I, I mean, it's a brand new team again. I wish I could come out here and tell you exactly what I think is going to happen. 
I don't know. The one thing I can guarantee you is they won't be as bad as they were last year. I don't, so I don't know how that's possible. That's the worst Nebraska team I've seen in my lifetime. So they're going to be way better and more talented than they were last year. Way more talented. But it's an uphill battle, man. Brand new team, disjointed offseason with limited opportunities to work out and gel and come together because of COVID. And the Big Ten is loaded again. And you know, 20 of your of your game, 20 of your maximum 27 games are going to be Big Ten games. So, I mean, there were seven Big Ten teams are ranked in the AP Top 25. Seven. So, I mean, it's just a, it's a tough time to find footing as a program trying to build their way back up in the Big Ten. But again, I think this team is much more offensively talented. And Fred Hoiberg has proven that if you give him something to work with, offensively, he's going to maximize. They're going to play fast. They're going to shoot threes. Hoiberg in the half court is going to be difficult to deal with from an X's and O's standpoint. So, you know, I think I, I think this team could be the type of team that if you catch them on the wrong night, they could light you up scoring the ball. Sometimes, you know, those fast-paced teams that play with a lot of freedom and Coach Hoiberg gives them confidence and they take a lot of threes, sometimes those kinds of teams can are capable of big nights. And I could see that. But, you know, with fast-paced, heavy three-point attacks, like there could be nights where shots obviously aren't falling. And one of the issues last year was Nebraska was a team that that didn't handle in-game adversity well, whether it was missing shots or a team went on a run or whatever the case may be. And oftentimes, I think you can trace that back to a lack of chemistry, a lack of experience with each other and establishing certain foundational things that sustain you when you hit some turbulence and you hit some adversity, those things didn't get established last year. And certainly those things are still a work in progress because you're a brand new team right now. So I, I do worry about all those things. I, I worry about the ability to weather a storm in games. I worry about, you know, being able to, uh, you know, your foundational core things of a standard of what you do from a hustle and, and playing hard and defense, all those things that just get passed down in programs from the upperclassmen to the to the to the newcomers like you just don't you don't have that set right now in your program so you it could lead to some inconsistency it could lead to some inconsistency i do think also the no fans thing or limited fans is something that hurts nebraska because you know pba got to where it was one of the tougher environments in in college basketball in the big 10 and uh that, that that matters as well. But we'll see. I mean, it's such a weird year already with COVID that it's hard to assess, you know, th- things even with teams you know a lot about, right? So it's it's extra hard for a, for a team like Nebraska when you don't know really very much about them at all. But I will say you got a very manageable non-conference schedule. you got a few tough games, Georgia Tech and Creighton, but a lot of other winnable games. And it's important to win the games you're, and I'm air quoting here, supposed to win, whether McNeese State or Florida A&M, like it's, it's, those are the games they didn't win last year, right? And it, and it, it kind of messed with them mentally. And so it's important that Nebraska wins the games they're, quote, supposed to win to get that confidence and momentum rolling. I wish I could sit here and give you a record prediction, but I just, I don't know, this team, I, 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 I don't know what to, I don't know how to assess this team. Give me a few games. How about that? Is that a deal? Give me a few games and I'll be able to give you a better 
feel for what kind of a prediction or how I kind of see this team, right? I mean, because I, I could pull a number out of my ass. I think they're going to go. I think they're going to go uh, six and fourteen in the Big Ten. I mean, I don't. I, I let me see. Can I see this team play one offensive possession together? Like again, I know what I see on paper, and I I see on paper a team that is way more talented and has some very intriguing pieces. That when you give it to Fred Hoiberg and his ability to coach offense, like I expect, I expect a massive step forward this year. Now, what that manifests itself into in terms of a record, I'm not sure. Like I said, give me a few games. Give me a few games. All right, there you go. Year two, Fred Hoiberg. Can't wait. Little Nebraska basketball preview, baby. Hey, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. I'll have you covered with good Husker Hoops coverage all season long. Have some guests on. Uh, so make sure you uh, click that subscribe button so you don't miss any of the pods that I am dropping. All right. Uh, cheers to basketball season, and we'll catch you uh, next time on the Nick Bob podcast. All right. My thanks to Pella. If you're thinking about a new window or a new door, now is the time. Check them out online on the web at PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. And uh, my thanks to my good friends at Runza. Best fries on the planet. Great burgers. Cheese Runza. Delicious. The food is simply fantastic. Runza makes it all better. A Huda Media Production.